thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if not, there's a Bible in front of you. We're going to be reading out of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We want to continue looking at what we can learn in Scripture about thankfulness. And so as you're turning to that, I want to open up with a story of thankfulness. And it's very important as we're in this season that we hear stories that help us to be thankful. So there was an atheist who was walking in the woods one day, and he was admiring all that evolution had done. What majestic trees, he thought, and what powerful rivers, and these beautiful animals, and the, the mountains that just are amazing. And he said to himself as he was walking alongside the river, um, he, he said, you know, this is such beauty. It is amazing how evolution has just done things that we find beautiful. About that time, he heard some rustling in the bushes behind him, and he turned around, and he saw a seven-foot grizzly staring at him. But he just didn't stare at him. The grizzly started charging towards him, and so immediately, the bear took off, and at the same time, he took off. He was running. He was feverishly trying to save his life. He was, he was heading over, jumping over the majestic logs, logs that... that evolution had created, and he was running, he was huffing, he was puffing, he was crying, and the bear was catching with him every step. Every time he looked back, the bear was closer, the bear was closer. The man, the atheist, tripped and fell down. The bear came right up to him, raised his arm, was getting ready to swipe, and the atheist yelled out, oh my God, help me. And all of a sudden, a light from heaven came. The bear's paw was in the air ready to nail him. The rivers had stopped. The wind had stopped blowing. Everything was quiet and perfectly frozen in time. Then this voice spoke from heaven. And it said, sir, do you really believe that after all these years of denying me as an atheist, after all these years of believing this universe is merely a cosmic accident, after all these years of teaching students and other people and trying to convince them that I don't exist, do you really believe I'm going to help you now? And the man, looking deeply into the light, said, you know, you're right. My track record is really bad. And it would really be hypocritical of me to, to, to call on you now. Um, but maybe we could approach this a different way, God. Even though you can't do anything for me, perhaps you could uh, make the bear a Christian. And if you did that, things would still turn out differently for me. So the voice from heaven said, as you requested. And all of a sudden, the rivers began to flow. The winds began to blow again. And the trees began to rustle. And the bear stopped. He sat back. He pulled his paws into himself. And he looked up and he says, oh, God, thank you for this food I'm about to receive. <laughs> How many know it's important to be thankful for what God's given you? And as Christians, we need to be thankful. So before we read this passage out of 1 Chronicles 29, um, I want to set it up a little bit. Before we get there, David expresses this incredible um, 
story, or not really, it's incredible prayer and thankfulness towards God. And I believe it's one of the most brilliant articulations of a heart of a thankful servant that we have in Scripture. And so let me give you some background before we get into this. David became one of the greatest kings in history. He loved God. He served God. He was not a perfect man, but he knew that his relationship with God was the key to his life. And one day he was looking at the beautiful palace that he lived in, and he realized, God, you don't have a house as beautiful as this. You don't have a place to be worshipped as, as beautiful as this. And all they had had at that time was a tabernacle. It was a temporary dwelling that Moses had, had made. And so David really thought, you know, God, I want to build you something that brings you glory. And so David want, began to pursue doing this. And God actually said, I'm sorry, David, you can't do that because you've been a, a king of war. You have too much blood on your hands. But I will allow your son Solomon to build it. But David made the decision, even knowing all of those restrictions, that he was going to fund it and that he was going to draw up the plans for it. And so we come to this passage of Scripture that after David and all the people brought all these offerings and these gifts for the building of the temple, David's heart is moved with such thankfulness towards God. And we come to this passage, so you now, now know the backstory of this. And David opens his mouth. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. And he begins to say this. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatest and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. And he goes on to say, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and all from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you, and tenants. In other words, we're temporary here. And as all our fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand. Everyone say, your hand. And it's all yours. Say, all yours. Since I know, oh my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness. I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy I have seen your people who are present here, make their offerings willing to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you. David's heart gushed open with thankfulness towards God. He, it was almost as though he couldn't contain himself after giving something to God. And this is his prayer of thanksgiving. And I want to look at actually four truths that we can learn from David and can help us during this holiday season. I want to get right to it. The first one is this that we can learn from David is everything we have is a gift from God. 
Everything we have is a gift from God. After this remarkable multi-million dollar offering that the people of Israel and David gave to the building of this temple, David broke out in this prayer of thanksgiving and he said in verse 14, he says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And this is the key because everything comes from you. David recognized that everything that he had was from God in the first place. That's so important for us to understand during this season and during this time. It's important for you to understand it. Some of us don't understand this really. That everything you are, everything you have, everything you will ever have has been given to you. It doesn't belong to you. If you don't understand this... If you, don't, if you don't understand that, that, that everything that you have actually belongs to God, you won't ever really give thanks. Because you won't honor God with it because you won't make the connection that what you have actually came from God in the first place. Here is David. He said, God, I want to do something for you. I want to do something for my God who has done so much for me. But here's David. All the stuff that David had to do something for God was all the stuff that God had given him in the first place. He he couldn't give God anything back that God hadn't given him. And once you lose sight of God as your source for everything, you enter what is called self-sufficiency. See, in the world, this sounds great. You know, I'm a self-sufficient man. I'm a self-made man. I'll do. All that sounds wonderful. But when it comes into your relationship with God, it is called sin. It's called sin that you begin to think that you have what you have because of what you have done. Or you have accomplished what you have accomplished because of what, who you are, or how intelligent you are, or how clever you are. Because according to this scripture, here was David who had everything, but he realized nothing I have is really mine. And God begins to move on David's heart, and David begins to give things back to God. You see, for us, every breath you take is what's called air on loan. There will come a time when We won't breathe anymore. And every breath we take now is something that comes from God. And you can feel this understanding from David. You can hear this in his prayer. My friends, everything you have, not some, not most, not many, but everything you have is a gift from God, given to you by his grace. This is the beginning. This is the genesis of a thankful heart. That's where David's coming from. Here's my question for you today during this season is what are some of the gifts God has given you? Your health? You say, Jason, well, it's not perfect, but my friend, it's a gift. Your job, it may not be what you want, but it is a gift from God. Your intelligence may not be, you may think, I don't measure up to other people. It doesn't matter. It's a gift from God. Or you may be at the top My friend, you're smart because God made you smart. Your children are a gift. Your friends are a gift from God. Your families are a gift from God. Your in-laws are a gift from God. 
doesn't matter what little things you agree or disagree with. They are a gift from God. Your church is a gift from God. Your pastor, I just stuck that one in there. <laughs> <It's a gift. laughs> your, listen, your possessions are a gift from God. Your wealth is a gift from God. Your investments are a gift from God. You don't own anything. Everything we have is on loan from God. We are on God's land. We are, we are living on God's property. We're drinking from God's well. You are living in God's house. You are driving God's car. And you're spending God's money. All right, let's go home. That's great. All that you have, you would not have if it wasn't for God. David says this in verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. So it doesn't matter, riches and honor. So many times it takes honor to build riches or honor to, to be promoted or honor to, to accomplish something or a door opens for you. Both that honor and the riches that come, come from God. And God rules over all of them for all things come from you. This is the key to thankfulness, acknowledging this right here. This is the key, recognizing all you have is from God produces thankfulness. It produces thankfulness. I don't know if you've ever ran into someone who who thought everything they had was because of how wonderful they were. Let me ask you, were they a thankful person? No, they weren't. They were all about them. They were all about getting what they can. Something for us to understand this Thanksgiving season, which will help us in expressing a heart of Thanksgiving, that all that I am and ever will be is only by the grace of God. It's his gift that was given freely to you. He loved you when you didn't deserve his love. While you were yet a sinner, he chose you. While you were waddling in your sin and filth and rebellion from him, he said, I love that girl. I love that boy. And he gave his love to you. And that love transformed your life. Number two, what we can learn from David is this. We give to God only what he has first given to us. We give to God only what he has first given to us. Once we realize all that we have is from God, it produces a thankful heart. And a thankful heart looks like something. If you told me you had a loving heart and you were grouchy, I'd say you don't have a loving heart. You can tell me all day long. But what, whatever is in your heart comes from your heart as manifested into your life. And so a thankful heart looks like something. So how can you tell if someone or yourself is thankful or not? Because generosity flows from a thankful heart. Generosity flows from a thankful heart. It naturally, it is the fruit in which a thankful heart produces generosity. 
David says this in verse 14. Again, he says, everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Again, David is just, he's this wealthy man who realizes nothing he has actually belongs to him. Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. You know, as parents, we can understand this. We give our kids money to what? To buy us something for Christmas. That doesn't make any sense. And we give them money and they go out and they pick the gift and they, they wrap the gift and they come back and then they give us the gift and they think they bought you a gift. But they give it to you. And when that happens to me, I feel blessed. I feel loved. I feel they cared enough about me to go and do this. They're giving me something that I gave them to give back to me. But somehow I feel loved. It's the same way. But why, it blesses me because I know their motivation was, Dad, I love you. Dad, I care for you. It's not obligation. We don't, they don't come and say, well, I guess I've got to get Dad some, Dad can have some money because I've got to go buy you something. It's not guilt. They do it because they love me. It's the same way with God. Same way with our offerings to God. He gives us the resources. And resources is everything in your life. It's not the dollar amount on your bank account. It includes that. But it's everything. He gives us resources. All the things in our lives that we can use to make offerings to him. But he is still blessed when he knows the gifts we give him are motivated by love. Bob McQueen, who is a former congressman of Ohio, he was also a Christian. He tells this great story of when he took his son to McDonald's. And he took his son to McDonald's and he, he went up and they, he ordered French fries and, and they sat down to the table. And Bob said, just not thinking, I reached over to grab one of my son's French fries. And my, and my, and my son snatched up my French fri his French fries, held them close to me. He says, no, Dad, you can't have any of my fries. They're mine. And the, Bob was, in, as I was reading this, it says, Bob felt like, well, man, I, I just wanted to hang out with you. I just wanted to be with you. And his son had this lousy attitude, and he just wanted just to hang out. And Bob said that within less than five seconds, God taught him the most important lesson on stewardship he had actually ever learned. And he makes these three points, and I want to read them to you. He said this, number one, my son doesn't understand from whom those fries came from. I'm the one who went to the counter and ordered and paid for them. He doesn't understand that I am the source of those fries that he claims are his. Number two, my son does not understand that I can take those fries from him if I want. I'm bigger, I'm stronger than he is, and they're mine. Number three. He doesn't understand that I don't really need his fries. I can go buy my own. I could go up to the, to the counter. I could buy a hundred large french fries if I wanted. And he goes on to write this. Yes, my son had a terrible attitude. But the Lord spoke to my heart. And I realized that I sometimes disappoint the Lord with my bad attitude as well. He said this. God taught me these three things. Number one, he is my source. 
All that I have is from him. I can't really call anything mine. Number two, God can take my French fries anytime he wants. He can give me more or he can take them away. Number three, God doesn't really need my French fries. But he wants me to share what he gives me so we can walk together in a relationship. This is the heart of David. And this is the heart that David really communicates and shows us today. David prayed this in verse 16. He said, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And it all belongs to you. This understanding from David unleashed this generosity from his heart that we can learn from. First, David went on to give out of the royal treasury. Basically, it's like giving government money. He was, the, he was the head of it, and he could choose. And so he gave a large portion out of the treasury. But he took another step, and he began to give out of his own personal funds. And he says this in verse 3 and 4. He says, in my devotion." To the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. And it lays out, he gave 113 tons of gold and 214 tons of silver. If you were to factor that into the um, cost of gold and silver today, David gave over $18 billion to the building of the temple. That's a lot of money. But it was an expression from his heart. So as I was reading that this week, I thought, what motivated David? Why would he, why would he give? Because when you start looking at the temple, when you start looking at all the things that, that he was doing um, and what he was wanting to build, one, God told him he couldn't build it himself. Two, God said someone else is going to get the benefit from it. So this is what we learned from David's generosity. The thing is very important. Number one, the glory of God was his motivation. Nothing else. It wasn't the glory of David. It wasn't how good this is going to make David look. It was the glory of God What was his motivation. He wanted the temple to be so beautiful that it would be a testimony to the greatness of the glory of God to all of the nations that would ever see it. He held nothing back. He gave, he, he gave to something for the glory of God. There was no personal attachment. He could get no benefit from it. Number two, he was giving so future generations could encounter the presence of God. This was a ministry he was sowing into that he was not going to be leading. This was a, this was a, a ministry he was sowing into that his son was going to take over. This is a ministry that he was, he was giving into because he knew that he needed to make an impact on his, on his grandchildren, on his grandchildren's children, and down the line. That he was investing into generations down the line. And he wanted people to come in and encounter God's presence. The presence of God. The presence of God is not set aside for one generation or another. So what's interesting is every generation thinks that they have the best part of God. 
The generations that were 20, 30 years ago, they talk about the times that God rocked their world. And, I, and God did do amazing things. But David understood that the presence of God wants to be made manifest in every generation. What does it do me that I encounter God's presence in such a powerful, wonderful way if I don't make the way for my children to experience that same presence? What is the point of that? Did God just show up and change my life just for me? No, he changed my life so that my children can experience life change through the presence of God. That their children can experience life change. So that people who come to a church can experience God's presence that tears down walls, that opens blind's eyes, that sets captive people free, that delivers the oppressed, that saves the lost and rescues people who are broken and his lives are upside down and encourages the believer and equips the believer to be everything that God's called them to be. That's what this is about. And David understood that. He wanted to make God's name great among the nations. Thirdly, his motivations was this. Buildings, and he understood that buildings are temporary. But souls of men and women are immortal. I want you to just see that, hear that for a moment. Buildings are temporary. But the souls of men and women are immortal. He knew that one day this physical temple he would build, would crumble and fall. David knew that. Matter of fact, in less than 400 years, it had fallen. And Solomon's temple lays in ruins. But this is a reminder that everything we build in this world is only temporary. But David knew it wasn't about the bricks. It wasn't about the wood. It wasn't about the gold. It wasn't about how beautiful. It wasn't about how convenient the layout was. It was about the people who would meet God and be transformed and changed through the ministry of the temple. He understood that. He was not investing into buildings. He was investing into people. Because he knew buildings are temporary, but the souls of men and women are immortal. You know, God has blessed us with an incredible, beautiful facilities. I'm so thankful to come and have the convenience of our children can, can be ministered to and our Sunday school classes are meeting. We can gather in this beautiful room. And, and, but my friends, this is not what this ministry is about. It's not about some building. It's not about that we, we have great, you know, seats. And yes, we need, there is media we need to have to communicate the, the, the message of the gospel. And we're being relevant and best as we can. But it's not about this building and this stuff. The reason why we gather here is because there are souls of men and women that unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will go to hell. We gather here because of the ministry that happens in your life for your children being equipped, for us as a family to grow, to grow together, that there, we have this facility we can gather and pray together. We can worship the living God and his presence comes down and begins to transform us and change us, that we can link arms with, with one another and be a family of faith, that when you're hurting, I'm, I'm watching out for you. When, I, when I'm hurting, you're coming and trying to serve me, and together we are doing great things. We aren't investing into a building. We're investing into God's kingdom that is immortal. 
It will carry on and go on forever. This is the place where the Word of God is declared and preached, which Scripture is very clear that you are to declare and preach the words of God because it pierces the hearts of people. And it changes people. We gather here today and invest into this with our time, our talent, our treasure. Because the souls of men and women are immortal. That's why. And that's what we can learn from David. The third thing we can learn from David is this. That God tests our hearts according to what we do with what he has given us. God tests our hearts according to what we do with what God has given us. David says in verse 17, he says this, I know, my God, that you test the heart. There it is. You test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. In other words, David's even examining his own heart. I'm giving this out of honest intent. I'm giving this out of a willingness. And, I, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. I know, God, that you test the heart. David realized that God tests the heart when we give. Here's my question to all of us this Thanksgiving season. Are we giving willingly and joyfully? Have you ever considered the possibility that God has placed resources in your hands to test you? Have you ever thought about that? The other question that we can see from David is this. Are you passing the heart test? We're all given resources. Again, when we say resources, talking about your time, talking about your efforts, your energy, your giftings, your finances. If it all belongs to him, what are we doing with it? So my question is, when's the last time maybe you invited someone over your home from our church to serve them, to build community? When's the last time you invited your neighbor over to your house, into your house, and provided a meal for them? Just to get to know them. When's the last time you were generous with your family time? I believe you need to have family time. You need to protect your family time. But you need to be generous with your family time. When's the last time you used your energies to serve someone? Use your energies to serve in the church. To say, you know what, I don't know how to do that, but I'll give it a shot. Because why? We're investing into souls of men and women and children. Maybe it's the last time you made a decision, I'm going to give financially. I'm going to go beyond what even what I'm comfortable with to give out of generosity. Remember, we don't do any of this for a building. We don't do it for a person. We do it for God himself. We do it for the glory of God because it all belongs to him in the first place. It's kind of like this. Just imagine you were sending your father a birthday gift. And you buy him a coat. And so you, uh, you go, you pick out the coat, you put it in a UPS box, you take it to the UPS store, you ship it, and the UPS driver picks it up that day, and he cuts it open, and he says, man, that's a nice coat. And he pulls the coat out, and he, and he wears it. And he, he just makes all his deliveries that day. He's wearing the coat, he's just having a good old time. 
He's staying warm. He likes it. He really likes the pockets on the side. Serves him really good. But you would realize that coat was intended for my dad. Man, how would you feel about that? If you heard about that the UPS driver was wearing your dad's coat, man, you would be as mad as a hornet. You, man, you, you'd go, you would call somebody. You may, he shows up, knocks on the door, says, how you doing, sir? Yeah, this jacket's yours. Yeah, right here. It's got like stains on it. He hands it to him. Thanks. God bless you. You'd say, who does this guy think he is? He's only the middleman. That package isn't his. He was only supposed to deliver it to my dad. Have you ever stopped to think, I just our challenge for all of us today, that the reason God gives you the gifts of resources, time, energy, money, sometimes it's because he wants you to deliver it to other people. People who are in need. People who are hurting. People who need the gospel. People who need to be discipled. But instead, you take those resources and you use them for you. We're actually, just like the UPS, we're the middleman. We need to, del- to deliver our resources where God wants it. And there's always the thought, you know, well, why doesn't God just give it straight to those in need? Straight to that ministry or straight to that other ministry. I'll tell you why. Because he wants you to have the blessing of honoring him by putting his money and resources to work. He wants you to be a part of it. He's invited you into this. When you allow God to use you as a conduit, something happens in your life. Something is broken off of you. Something is melted away. The chains of bondage on selfishness and self-sufficiency begin to break off when you begin to use it. Because number four here, giving produces joy in your life. Giving produces joy. David writes this in verse 9. He says this, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. For they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Man, out of their ridiculous response of generosity that was manifested because they knew everything they had was a gift from God in the first place, it produced joy. There is this distinct correlation between generosity and joy. People who are stingy with their possessions are what? Often miserable. They are. They are miserable. They just don't want you to have a fry. They don't want you to touch their box. Get away from my box. That's my box. Well, isn't it junk? Yeah, but it's my junk. I just want to help you throw it away. It's my trash. Leave it alone. Stingy. They're hoarding. There's an old saying. I grew up in the South, and we'd always <laughs> we'd have a garden, and everybody canned. And so the saying was, you, you get all you can, then you can all you get, then you sit on all your cans. <laughs> no one else can have them. 
Get all you can, count all you get, and then sit on them and keep them. God wants you to have joy, my friends. Jesus, now this isn't the words of David. This isn't the words of Paul. Jesus said this in Acts 20, 35. He said this, there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. If you believe this, you will find this in your life. But we're Americans. We like to can a lot of stuff. And then we like to buy storage units so we can store our cans in it. And then we just gotta have to get a bigger one. I want you to just give that stuff away. No, that's my stuff. Okay. Jesus said this there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. That's the exact opposite than how the world works. Before you start putting everything away and settling up and thinking about lunch, hang with me just for a sec. I'm hungry too, okay? This is the exact opposite than how the world thinks. Most of the world thinks there's more happiness in getting than giving. But Jesus doesn't think like the world. He doesn't process like the world. He knows that you are most like him when you are giving, and that produces joy. The most joyous people I've ever known, I've ever been around, are givers. There's just something about their life. There's joy in their life. I mean, you'll say, oh, that's a, I'm telling you, I've been around someone. I've said, that's a really nice jacket. They've taken it off and given it to me. Well, that's not what I was asking. They're like, no, I want you to have it. You, you can take it. I was in line at a, uh, it, to get on a United Airline flight. And there was this guy there. I knew him, and he was in first class, and I was not in first class. And I was talking to him. It was Peter. I said, hey, Peter, how you doing? We were chatting. I said, oh, you're in first class. That's great. He said, he, looked, he goes, I want you to be, I want you to take my seat. And he changed my, I said, no, 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 you be in first. He said, no, I want you to be in first class. I said, but I'm like in economy, in a middle seat. And then he swapped it back. No, he didn't swap it back. <laughs> he said, no, I want you to be in my seat. I was blown away. He had this joy I mean, this guy, he's always giving, always serving people. I, you know, and, he, and he's a tall guy. And I can just see him sit back in the middle seat and just scrunching there thinking, you know, he was as happy as can be. Why? Because this is true. There's more happiness in giving than in receiving. Paul says this, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful Second Corinthians 9-7, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful, he loves cheerful givers. Not people who give out of obligation or out of guilt. And, and it's always the balance as a pastor because you know this is true. You know that giving unlocks joy into people's lives. 
But when you get up and, and, you, and really try to, to, to help all of us see this, people are like, don't, don't you talk about me giving my, that's my stuff, not your stuff. Or you see this, well, the church always just wants your money. No, no. The church wants you to have joy. We as pastors want you to have life. We want, we want the enemy, to, his grip over your life to be broken for us to be the most. We want you to be not like this was God's stuff, but like this with God's stuff so he can flow stuff through your hands. If you're like this, he, he won't do it. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Because God wants you to be a people of joy and happiness and life and overcome and not be bound to the world. When the world's freaking out, you're not because you got joy. Here's the question. Do you want to be more joyful as a family? Do you? They always the answer is yes. No one's here like, nope, we're good. Here's, here's my challenge to you. Then find ways to be generous as a family. I know many of you do that. You go and serve and you, you do things. You're teaching your children generosity. You want your children to be full of joy? When your child, I'm telling you, this is the truth. When your child makes $10 for raking leaves, you tell them give $1 away to the church. Now they'll fight you at first. But all of a sudden you begin to cultivate. And then they're not working just for their own money. It's, it, it breaks the cycle of entitlement off of children's lives. Why? Because it's, it's, it's better to give than it is to receive. Do you want to be more joyous as an individual? Then be more generous as a person. You can serve in our children's ministry. You can serve in a homeless shelter. You can do whatever it takes. Dads, if, when you're at home and you're sitting around, it seems like everything is getting on your nerves. Don't raise your hand if that's you. It's like this is happening. Get up and go do the dishes. And you will feel, I'm, I, you think I'm joking? You will feel that break off of your heart. You'll feel joy come up inside of you. Go do a Lego, a Lego puzzle with your son or your daughter. Go play tea with those little teacups. Go do something that's giving of your time, giving of your energy. All of a sudden, your perspective changes. Moms, as you're thinking, I don't have one more nerve that anyone could get on. As you're taking care of your kids and you're serving faithfully. Put aside some of those things and love your children. Sit down with them. Do something. Give out of what you think you have no more to give. And all of a sudden it breaks this angst over your heart. I'm telling you, it is the key. Giving produces joy with our finances if you want to have freedom in your finances don't want to continue to struggle and, and worry about it and think about it listen then just give some of it away Sow into the lives of other people. Sow into the preaching of the gospel. Sow into the making of disciples. Do something. Break that over your life. This is God's heart. This is God's challenge. Think about these questions. Ask yourself, how can I be more generous? It all belongs to God. Once you get that, you're going to be thankful. Thankfulness looks like something. It looks like generosity. If you're not generous, you're not thankful. I don't care how much you say it. 
The fruit of thankfulness is generosity. And the fruit of generosity, according to Scripture, is joy. It's happiness. This is the heart of a thankful servant. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.